This episode is brought to you by our incredible community of listener supporters on Patreon. Our Patreon offers listeners exclusive archival content, extended episodes, and access to community conversations diving deeper with past guests. Your monthly pledge ensures that For the Wild has the funding to keep producing informative, thoughtful, and rooted conversations and programming. All funding supports our small team of creatives, podcast production, and special For the Wild projects like our zines and slow study courses. To support us on Patreon, please visit patreon.com slash for the wild, or if you would rather make a one-time donation or recurring donation outside of Patreon, please visit for the wild.world slash donate. The silence is broken by somebody crying, trying to be heard, never a word. Always the attitude, sort out your own, always alone, wishing for something the world is denying. Out in the wilderness, somebody's crying. Somebody wishing for something to happen, wishing to tell. Wishing to help Someone was listening Someone who cared Never despaired Someone to lean on And someone to trust Who needs your assistance And finds your disgust Hello and welcome to For the Wild Podcast. I'm Ayana Young. Today we are speaking with Jasmine Fuego. Jasmine is a co-founder of the Permaculture Action Network and Bay Area-based performance artist. Jasmine is an animated mover, shaker, and cross-pollinator dedicated to bridging entertainment, education, and ecology to bring about a just, generative cultural narrative. Jasmine specializes in social permaculture, currently facilitating at the Regenerative Design Institute, and also does mindfulness training with elementary students in Richmond, California. Her nonprofit has hosted more than Permaculture Action Days, but also HUBS hubs and courses nationwide, bringing ecological education and action to thousands of concert and festival goers across the nation. Well, welcome, Jasmine. Thank you so much for being on the show. And I'm so excited about your performances and speaking at the Oregon Eclipse Festival later this month. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited. I live in the Bay Area and everywhere I go in the offices and the coffee shops and at the gardens, there are people talking about this and there are so many different kinds of people. So I'm, I'm really excited and I'm very, very curious just to see how it all goes. Yeah, I think this large grouping of people at this festival and and festival culture in general is really part of this awakening that's currently unfolding. And it's really heartening to see different groups coming together to celebrate and to pray and to learn from each other. And it's just beautiful to see people who are moving out of the complacency into an eagerness to metamorphose the predicament we find ourselves in as a culture. And so many people are beginning to mobilize. And recently, I have had the joy and honor of speaking with a lot of movement builders through the podcast, but also through the Sisters Bonded in Action webinar series. 
And in a lot of these conversations, we've begun to delve into what it will take to jolt the masses out of the consumptive and desensitized conditioned, you know, this screen bound fog that shackles us and, and really begin to dissect how to incite tangible action that utilizes the most effective and meaningful tactics, both within and outside the current political framework. And, you know, the Permaculture Action Network is a, a beautiful embodiment of holistic, innovative, grassroots organizing. So I'd love if you could start us off by sharing how the Permaculture Action Network works at the intersection of art, music, and regenerative culture. And I'm also curious of what you find most effective about using music and art as tools to engender meaningful action and empowerment within local communities. Well, I would love to start off by just sharing a little bit about the origin story of the Permaculture Action Network, because it feels really important to what makes our work so unique. Myself and the other co-founders and organizers within the Permaculture Action Network, we were loose acquaintances before, and most of us all met through being involved in festival production or festival culture in some way, either as participants or volunteers or just folks who frequented these music festivals and people who frequent concerts quite often. And we were all at Envision Festival almost four years ago now, and we noticed a reoccurring theme at a lot of music festivals and at a lot of shows, and the theme of transformation when a theme of connection and community was coming up a lot. And I can speak for myself and say that in some ways I saw a lot of that, but after going to so many of them, what I noticed is after these few days of really deeply connecting with myself and with new people and kind of going to workshop after workshop after workshop and just like flooding my mind with so many new and innovative ideas, dancing and, and praising and celebrating that when I left and went back home, there wasn't a lot of change in my life. And I noticed that happening a lot with, with other people that I saw. And so something I noticed was there was a lot of conversations around transformation. But when I went back in into the world, I didn't actually see a lot of that materializing. So after so many years of attending these festivals and stuff, myself and the founding organizers and artists that we worked with for the first Permaculture Action Tour, we, we found ourselves having a, a roundtable conversations at a gathering called the Roots Gathering that happens after Envision Festival in Costa Rica. And we were just talking about how disheartening that is. And through free flow conversation, we thought about, you know, well, all of these people go to these festivals and all these people go to these shows. Like, what would it be like if maybe the after party were at a community garden or if before the show people, you know, worked and planted together and at the very end there was a big, you know, a, the celebration would actually be the show or the festival itself. And so the idea around the Permaculture Action Network really came from that, seeing that there was this missing piece in transformational music festival culture, which was like the actual tangible transformation of the land and of ourselves in a way. We got invited by the Polish ambassador, who is a, an electronic DJ and producer, to join him, uh, myself and a few other educators and organizers. He invited us to join him on a 32-city nationwide tour from San Francisco to New York and 
the original idea was just to bring us on as educators to kind of give a talk before each show. But what ended up happening is that uh, as we started to plan these permaculture action talks, people in the local communities, they were asking for help in their communities, help in their community garden or help from a local project that was just needing manpower to get off the ground. And we planned one or two. And then we decided, you know, why not try and do this after every single show? You know, we're blazing through these towns and cities with our, you know, with the tour bus and the cars. And why not leave behind something really beautiful? So to answer your original question around what makes permaculture action so unique, I I think it is that bridge between art and actual doing of things, the the action. I I think that art is so powerful because what it does is it's, it's such an easy entry point for most people, specifically music. I, I can't really think of anyone that I know who doesn't like music and who doesn't like to listen to music with other people. And as a musician myself, something I see is that when people are at these shows, their hearts are being totally open and they're their ears are open, their eyes are open, all of our senses are wide open, and we're so much more susceptible to to listening. There's a deep listening that's happening. And it seemed like the perfect place to utilize all of that energy, because I feel like, you know, with technology these days, we could just listen to, you know, Spotify on our nice both speakers at home and, and probably actually hear the music better, but we go to the shows to connect to connect with the artists and to connect with ideally like-minded people who also like the same type of music or the same message that this artist is sharing. So it just seemed so perfect. It seemed like just an underused resource of like, all these people are already here. They clearly want to do something together. So why not give them something to do with their hands, with their own bodies? You know, I I forgot who said this, but I I saw a little thing on Instagram the other day and it said the the role of the artist right now is to make the movement more appealing. (laughs) And I just absolutely love that because as as an artist, you literally are louder than everyone else. You're literally on a pedestal. People can see you more. People can hear you more. And it seems so perfect to team up with artists who want to do something, who want to utilize their platform, but maybe they don't have the time to organize themselves or to to show up at all the things and all the rallies. But they can take a few moments to say, hey, there's a, an amazing thing happening tomorrow. There's a project in your community. We will show up there. We'll play you some music. Please come show up. Get your hands dirty. It's, it's a really an easy way for the artists to plug in with the movement. It's a really easy entry point for everybody involved. So Permaculture Action Network really is just that middleman that connects those links, connects the projects that are really just needing manpower that are already happening. You know, traveling around the country, I realized how much wonderful like food justice and environmental justice work was actually happening all over the country. I, I, I think I delusioned myself into thinking that it's only in Berkeley and only in, you know, in New York and certain places. But I mean, we were in Illinois and and Montana and, you know, all of these places that I don't really think of as the forefront of the environmental justice movement. But every single town or city has its pocket and has its person or has its group that's really working to, to elevate their community in that way. And so it's really just our job to connect those projects with the people and 
the artists have the access to all the people. So we really just act as as the the bridge between everyone to make sure that we can all mutually benefit from being in the same place at the same time. It's really a wonderful vision. And I think how you're explaining it makes so much sense that art and music is an incredible entry point. And it does make the movement more appealing to more people because it's really celebratory and it, I think, taps into a primal part of ourselves as humans who have been living with celebration and music and community events for, you know, thousands upon thousands of years. So to produce these events to allow all these different people to come together and really enjoy because I think that there is so much overwhelm and there's so much bad news that it can get hard for people to feel welcomed. I think for for also probably new people to come into the movement to really feel like there's a welcoming place for them to come into as whether beginning activist or burnt out activist or just somebody who's interested. So I think it's really a beautiful solution. And, you know, kind of going back to that idea of the hard times facing this movement, I think as we collectively engage with grassroots activism, we are given the opportunity to reconnect with the joys that accompany coming together, you know, gathering as communities. The Permaculture Action Days are this perfect example of this, because like we were saying earlier, it's drawing folks in with celebration and demonstrating the fulfillment that arises when we get our hands dirty and give back to the common spaces that sustain us. Yet the truth is that once you begin this work, you quickly realize that it's not always fun or uplifting. And there are times when the weight of the world's inequalities and grief feel paralyzing and debilitating. And then these situations emerge where you're asked to question what you are willing to risk for the things you love. And so I'm wondering how you apply the principles and the teachings of permaculture action days and and permaculture in general to the harder moments, to the more challenging aspects of activism and grassroots organizing. Yeah, I, I appreciate you speaking to that. Yeah, I would say that permaculture, to be honest, was my, we, it's, we have a funny joke in, in the permaculture world that permaculture is kind of like the the gateway drug to activism, <laughs> you know, um, it was definitely my entry point to being more politically involved and aware of what's happening even outside of the environmental movement and just like how interconnected it is with all of the other struggles. I mean, it's, uh, it is all totally connected. It's really hard to delineate like an environmental issue from a social issue, from an issue of race, from an issue of identity, from an issue of of wealth and inequality. And so, yeah, it started out really fun and exciting, but there, there are definitely times as someone who's, who lives and breathes these movements, it, it gets hard. I would say one of the principles that I like to personally apply to my life as an organizer, as well as a, a youth educator who works in primarily super low socioeconomic communities, uh, mostly children of color. One way that I, I use the principles to support me in this work is just remembering that it's better to start slow. Slow and small solutions are really important. 
I know that I personally can get really overwhelmed with just the magnitude of how much work actually needs to be done to ensure that my grandchildren or my children actually have a beautiful world to thrive and grow in. It gets really overwhelming and almost paralyzing. And I think that remembering that starting small is such a radical and powerful thing to be able to know that we don't have to tackle the entire world or the entire system of injustice at once and in one day. But these small daily acts can really, really amount to a a big change over time. And even more importantly, a big change in ourselves. And as we begin to change as individuals and see the world differently and question our own biases and and really look at our impacts in our lives on the planet, in our communities, that spreads. It's contagious. And so I really love that principle, starting with small and slow solutions, because it reminds me that I don't have to solve every single problem. And I might not actually see the end to all of the injustices that I, I'm working to, to fix and, and repair in my lifetime, but that the little things that I do on my own and the little things that I can encourage others to do, that's important. You know, it's just like droplets, lots and lots of what is the ocean but a collection of, of droplets of water. So that principle really helps me out. And I like to stress that at these permaculture action days that, you know, like this is, this is a, it's a small part of the many solutions that we need to see, but it's so wonderful and important because it's changing our hearts. It's beginning to change our local community. We have to start with where we are, but that does make a difference and it does ripple out. So I try to remind people because I I do get asked that a lot at action days, you know, like, well, what can we do about this? And what can we do about that? And I see the distress and I see the anxiety in people's faces and I can hear it in their voices. And I just have to remind them that, you know, permaculture in general, when we approach the land, we don't just come in there and try and fix or repair or push our agenda on all at once. You know, it's stopping and, and really seeing what's already happening, acknowledging, observing, and then starting with the simple things to make, you know, a piece of land or make a land project a thriving, beautiful and regenerative space for both the earth and everyone who's interacting with it. But I ain't scared to say when I'm weak My 
Thank you for reminding us to take a deep breath and go slow. I can even personally say that I sometimes have a hard time with that because as I see the rapid rate of destruction and extinction in this current ecological and social crisis boils my blood. It fuels the fire of this sacred rage. And there's these moments I just want to restore faster, do something more, bigger, faster. And that can be overwhelming. It can lead to burnout. It's probably not in the truest sense of the definition sustainable for us to do that. And so I think being able to slow down and realize how we can make the next step with the most integrity and really observing like what you said with the land, not just coming onto the land with our human agenda and saying, okay, well, we have the solutions and this is how we're going to move forward. But instead, you know, it is a permaculture principle to observe and to take a step back and to really sense wisely how to move forward. So I really appreciate that. And, you know, something that you had mentioned earlier is that these food sovereignty movements are popping up all across the country in places that you didn't expect them to be. And it's exciting to know that we are just one drop and knowing that there are good people everywhere doing good work. And while this is, you know, immensely exciting, I think it is also crucial to not lose sight of how access to healthy and clean and diverse food largely remains a luxury of the privileged. And marginalized communities mostly communities of color, arguably are in need of these efforts the most and persist in food deserts and can rarely afford the high prices of local organic food. So implementing permaculture designs within such urban spaces harbors the potential to not only empower communities through food sovereignty, but also rekindle a healing relationship with earth and with one another. And I'm wondering how you've seen and experienced how permaculture and food sovereignty and access to food act as a incendiary step towards greater social justice in underserved communities. It's probably been one of the most fulfilling parts of this work, traveling around the country and meeting folks who are in these communities that are just straight up struggling, <laughs> you know, struggling in a lot of the areas, you know, access to food, access to good water, as you were saying. Coming into the permaculture world, one of the first things I noticed is it, as far as like how it looks, like if you Google permaculture and pictures of people come up or teachers come up, it's like older white men. And if you look, if you do some more research, most of them um, are highly educated and well-traveled, middle-class backgrounds. You know, it, it definitely, even the word permaculture itself can be something that's like really exclusive. You know, it's like, I, I get asked all the time when I'm, when I go into communities of color, I like, what's permaculture? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. This is not knowledge that's just shared with everyone. So one of the cool things we've done in this work is we go out of our way to connect with with the communities of color that like the people in each of the cities we go to who are doing this work in a grassroots way I've seen I'm trying to think I like there's so many projects that I want to highlight 
there's a farm in New Orleans in the Ninth Ward, a place that has only in the last like four to five years been able to um, restore some of their homes. There's still tons of abandoned homes and spaces in this neighborhood from the hurricane. But there's a man who lives there. And what he did was he took his backyard, he took the locks off the gates, and he just started gardening. Just one man by himself. And little by little, the, the neighborhood kids would come through. And a lot of these young men in the, in the community don't have father figures around. And, you know, mothers and people in the family are, are working a lot. So there's a lot of youth who don't have a lot of supervision, who don't have a lot of support emotionally or otherwise. And so they're kind of roaming around and it's easy for them to get caught up in things that can be detrimental to them in their, in their development. And one by one, these kids started to come by and say, you know, Mr. Zach, what you doing? What you doing? And it really started through just conversations. He's like, oh, I'm just, you know, plan some collards. Y'all like, y'all eat collards, right? They're like, yeah, we eat collards, but we thought they came from the can. And one by one, he just started really just sharing this passion for food that he had. And he wasn't a master gardener and didn't know a lot about it, but he just knew that he needed to eat more vegetables because of his high blood pressure and he didn't have the money to buy the produce himself. So he was like, I know I got all this land. My, my grandma used to grow her own food. I'm going to try it. You know, looked up online, just some basic gardening things. And, you know, this one person over the course, it's now been five years since he started that he's got six high school students who are working. He turned into a nonprofit. He, he's got grants to actually pay these youth to come here and work the garden. And what the space has become is like uh, a staple for for the community to come together where they feel safe. They they built a stage there, so they host a festival every year. You know, the kids, all of the kids in the neighborhood come there just to just to hang around. Not all of them garden, not all of them are really interested in doing that part of it, but they want to be there because they know it feels good to be amongst the plants, to be amongst their community. And that in and of itself is permaculture and so strong and builds resilience um, within a community. And especially when they're going back home and bringing baskets full of, of fresh food from their own neighborhood back to their homes to then prepare food, which of course is like the staple of any community or of any family. So I've seen permaculture do healing in these lower, or just these, these communities that are more at, at risk. I've seen it transform communities, not just by giving access to food. In a way, it almost seems like the, the food itself is kind of like the secondary thing. What I've seen it actually do is bring more connection amongst people. And when people in a community are speaking with each other and spending time together and seeing each other on a normal basis, that builds so much strength and allows folks to come together to decide what things need fixing, what things need repair, what wonderful things are happening. There is just this amazing support system. And from that grows, I mean, in this case, it grows, food grows out of that and, and plants and, and medicine and herbs grow out of that. But what I saw at this garden in New Orleans, what grew out of that space was family. 
And that is just as important as food and as water. Like we are relationship beings and we need to connect with each other. And we're living in a society where all people of all classes are so distanced from human connection. I see this specifically in, in these communities that are, are more traditionally marginalized. What I've seen is uh, it build a, a sense of pride and a sense of belonging and who they are and what they have. And, and from that, there's so much possibility for more healing. So I've, I've seen permaculture deeply and truly transform communities. And for that reason alone, I continue to show up to support these staple individuals in these communities who are, are really going out of their own pocket and out of their own time, opening up their own backyards to connect with, with their neighbors and bring back something that's just so ancient. human connection to land and food and soil and seed, I think these are things that are biologically ingrained in us, how to steward land. It's really important what you were bringing up that permaculture might be mainly represented by a certain demographic of people, but there's people all over the world doing, quote, permaculture without that title and to uplift those stories and to uplift those people. And one question that was coming to me as you were talking is, 
I think that permaculture, which is a really fabulous set of skills and teachings, and and there's many, many really wonderful strategies out there, but how activists and movement builders and organizers and people, how people show up when they're wanting to share the news, share the wisdom, share ideas, really looking at our own positionality in these circumstances where we show up. So I was just kind of imagining, how do you go into communities and walk softly and not try to push your agenda or to tell people to do this, that, or the other, but how can you know these solutions be presented to empowered or disempowered communities in a way that is not patronized or belittle, but instead act as honorable and respectful? I'm so glad you asked that. That's such an important part of what we do. As an organization, we were growing a lot. The first Permaculture Action Tour was myself and three other organizers and, of course, the artists that we were on tour with. But as far as the people who were putting together these action days, there were four of us. And most of us were based in the Bay Area or in Colorado. And when we went into other cities and towns, we had to really, really find our way, our path with that. And and I won't say that we've always done it right. And in fact, I can think of a few times where I'm like, whoa, we got to change the way we just came into this place. But in our years of organizing, we've done close to 100 permaculture action days now. And something we started doing about a year ago was bioregional crews. So instead of myself or uh, my partner Ryan Rising or Alexa Levy, for instance, going flying to you know Denver or to Detroit or something to put together a Permaculture Action Day. At this point, we've traveled around enough that we've met a lot of people who are in the various bioregions of the country. And so that's one way that we've kind of found a balance with entering into communities is that we kind of have someone from that general area, from within you know, 50, 50 ish miles of the space to be kind of speaking on our behalf, kind of facilitating the initiation of Permaculture Action Day. But to be honest, a lot of the time what we do is we just put out a call and say, hey, we're coming, you know, or right now we're working really closely with Rising Appalachia. And so we get their tour dates way, way, way in advance before they go public. And we put a call out there and we say, hey, we are coming to these cities what are projects and people that we should connect with? So a lot of what we do as a Permaculture Action Network is we're really asking these questions, facilitating these questions. So asking who, what, where in your community needs support. And then we usually get a few responses or folks reach out. A lot of the times folks reach out to us saying, hey, I noticed that the band that you're working with is coming to our town. We're a local garden or we're a local urban farm that needs that, could re- that wants to do these projects, we could really use your help. So a lot of the times what we do is we just ask, okay, well, what do you need support with? Is there a certain project that you're trying to implement right now? Is there just like general work that needs to be done? We really are always just asking, what do you all need? And just utilizing our resources, which is usually the people power. But sometimes we're able to get a lot of materials or or get things donated to the space. We do a lot of that work, but we want to be really conscious of coming in and implementing our plan because most of us, 
I know when I go to permaculture action days, unless they're in the Bay Area, for the most part, I've never been to the space before. So I, I'm completely dependent on what the, the host or the, the person who's running the space or the person who reached out to us, just dependent on what they say that they need from us. If we see something that maybe they don't have, like, you know, there's some places we're like, oh, yeah, this, do you all have like a composting system? Oh, you don't? Like, is that something you're interested in? It's just constantly asking questions. And a lot of the times we go to these places and, you know, myself and our other organizers, we've got these grandiose ideas of like, oh, it'd be so cool if you put this and this and this here. We've gotten really good at checking ourselves to make sure we we just always ask or wait for the invitation when it comes to the projects. But we normally just support the uh, local organizers with whatever they ask for and to our the best of our abilities. But our, our bioregional organizers and all the new people who come on as a part of the permaculture action team, we go through a training and we talk a lot about cross-cultural organizing and um, power dynamics and step up, step back. We we use a lot of Starhawk's empowerment manual trainings and exercises to make sure that to the best of our abilities that people are who are working with us come into the organizing with a sense of social dynamics and power dynamics and are just really aware of themselves, like really aware of like how they're speaking, the, the way in which they're speaking with folks, how they're asking questions, how much they're talking, things like that. Or we're working right now to deepen that training and actually have our whole organization do a training with Starhawk and Pandora Thomas to help us get further in that. I think we're doing a pretty good job with the cross-cultural organizing that we do and, and the organizing of you know people from different cities and states kind of coming together for these different projects. But most of us are 20s and 30-somethings, and it's so important to me that we look to our elders who have been doing various types of organizing for decades, for longer than I've been alive. So we are, as an organization, looking to to deepen our, even though we specialize in social permaculture, we're looking to just deepen, deepen and deepen our knowledge and um, experience in, in our social organizing. Because so much of what we do is the Permaculture Action Network. Like we do, like, I think people mostly see, they go online, they see like the physical projects that we do, but it takes months and weeks to organize that one day or that one weekend that we spend in a place. And that's like where the juicy stuff is. That's the stuff that really makes a difference in someone's life is like learning how much it takes to make something happen and how much teamwork is is necessary to really see a change happen in our communities. And I'm really excited to uh, be doing some trainings with Starhawk and Pandora Thomas and Penny Livingston and other elders in the permaculture and just social justice world to help us do that better. I am the woman, the peace and the war. I am the one with so much force. If I keep singing about my story, we will all know where we come from. I am the woman, the peace and the war. I am the one with so much force. If I keep singing about my story, we will all know where we come from. I am the woman, the peace and the war. I am the one with so much force. If I keep singing about my story, we will all know where we come from. I am the woman, the peace, and the war. I am the one with so much force. If 
practice of bioregional leadership because people who live in a place, they know what they need and they usually know what's best. And uh, to be able to support communities supporting themselves, support the leaders of those communities to get what they need with you know, the access that the Permaculture Action Day can provide with hands and and music. And I really appreciate how you've gone about it and also sharing with us your missteps at the beginning because I think that a lot of people will not try something at all because they're so worried about making mistakes or embarrassing themselves. But when we step into this movement as activists, environmental justice, social justice, climate justice, I think we're all going to make mistakes. And I think we're all going to make missteps. But do we keep showing up? Do we keep showing up, keep learning, continually putting ourselves out there to become better and better stewards, better and better community members? And thank you so much for sharing that journey with us. And I really love the way that you're going at it now, deepening your social permaculture skills as an organization and really learning how to come in with the step up, step back practice. And you know, you had mentioned also respecting elders of the movement. And we've been able to speak to so many incredible elders of this movement on the podcast. And as a passing of the torch begins to emerge within our movements of resistance, and youth are beginning to step into these roles of leadership. And I really find myself reflecting upon the intergenerational knowledge and the sharing and guidance. And this dominant culture is extremely individualistic and has overwhelmingly lost respect for the wisdom of elders and is largely devoid of ceremonial transition of leadership. So I'm wondering how do we or millennials youth evolve into leaders in a respectful way that honors the generations that have come before us? Yeah, as a millennial, <laughs> this piece is one of the most important pieces of, in my life right now, even within and outside of the Permaculture Action Network and what I do, the work I do in mindfulness education with youth and the, the work I do in music and my artistry. It's really wonderful to look back and see what the youth are doing. I work with kindergarten through through high school. So, you know, even I don't even know what the next generation after millennials is called, but like, you know, the generations after the more recent ones, I'm I'm so 
inspired and, and excited by the innovations of the young people. But what I've realized and what I've realized in, in my personal life and my personal practice is that as much as I want to think that what I do and say and feel is avant-garde, there is likely someone somewhere in time who has done this before or done something similar from which that I can look at and ask questions and do my research and gain more knowledge to, to make whatever it is I'm trying to do or say or think or feel better. So one way I would say is just like some basic education, <laughs> like learning your history. I mean, learning our personal histories, like knowing where we come from, learning about asking questions about our peoples, you know, learning about the, the cultures and the ethnicities and heritages that we, the heritages that we come from. I think like having a strong sense of self is one way that really invites the, the guidance and wisdom of, of elders. I think like whatever we're passionate about, may it be permaculture, may it be music or anything, like really looking and finding out who are the greats in that era, who are the greats in that field and having this craving to know the history of what we're doing. It's so important. It's so, so important. Permaculture, it, we just, you know, uh, 30 years ago, Bill Malson just he, he w traveled around the world and he just got the, he had the privilege of being able to travel and study native and indigenous cultures all over the world. People been doing this. <laughs> what he saw, the commonalities of what he saw, and he wrote it down in his notebook, put it in a, you know, put it to print, stamped a name, permaculture on it, and it became this new thing. But people have been doing this work. And I think it's the same with any work. Myself as a, as an organizer, it's been vitally important for me to study movements of this country and of the world. You know, what's happening in our political landscape right now in this country, this is not the first time this has happened in history. And if I really want to be a leader, then I need to study from the other leaders. I, of course, advocate for one-on-one, -on -one, like actually spending time with our elders if you have access to our elders, even just like your family, you know, your grandma and your grandpa and your great aunties and great uncles, just learning about, you know, your, your family and your lines. But at the very least, we've all got these, we've got these little devices that we, we keep on our person at almost all times. I mean, can we just Google search, <laughs> Google search the, the leaders in the areas that we're trying to, to come into? It's so important to educate ourselves with history. I'm personally uh, spending a lot of time right now because I live in the Bay Area um, and because I, I'm deeply committed to the justice of, of all peoples and committed to the movement for Black lives and committed to the movement for food justice. I'm, I study the Black Panther movement a lot. I, I learned so much about what's happening now. I learned so much about the things that are currently happening by taking you know, some time out of my days to look at what was happening 30, 40, 50 years ago. I think it's really, really important as we're really trying to shift the paradigm and, and create a more regenerative future that we make sure to look back because people have been fighting for justice since the beginning of time. And we could really gain to learn a little bit about their triumphs and the areas where, you know, things were lacking and how we can make it even stronger as we continue to fight for justice and for equality for our planet, for 
all living beings and for ourselves. Thank you so much for your dedication to this work in such a deeply integrity-filled way when you were saying looking inside of ourselves and really learning and taking the time to put into our own self-development and going back to millennials. I'm a millennial as well, and I see a lot of our generation really just so many different ways of being at this time. There's a lot of different choices in the United States for many millennials. I think uh, people aren't expected in the same ways to have families in the conventional sense and kind of have that more conventional life, so to speak. I know that's a really broad term, and we could probably go into that as a whole separate question. But what I'm thinking about is just that historically – truly resilient earth-based communities were deeply rooted in place, uh, listening to, learning from, and adapting within the ecosystems they stemmed from. And now in the age of this individualistic modernity, many of us are profoundly out of touch with intimate sense of place. And many young people, many millennials who don't buy into the consumptive capitalistic norm have begun to search for an earth-centered communal belonging and often turn towards nomadism and traveling and spending time with different communities and and festival culture. Yet it's interesting because inherent in nomadism is a relative disconnection from place. So I'm wondering if you find that it is possible to form a reciprocal relationship with the land if you never set down roots in one place or one community. Hmm. (laughs) I'm trying to think of how I want to answer this question. There's such a beauty in traveling. And as someone who's quite well traveled myself, I lived abroad for several years. In fact, I learned permaculture from selling all my things, taking a one-way flight to Costa Rica after I quit my job and decided not to do a the rest of the academia route that had been mapped out for me. That's, you know, that's how I, I found permaculture. And that's how I found out a lot about myself and what's important to me. One of the things that I think is very beautiful about this generation and about the privilege that we have with technology and, and with travel to be able to deeply and authentically experience so many different places and cultures and be able to really harvest that with integrity if one chooses But I've also found it really important to be rooted in a place. 
So it's interesting because it's a huge part of, of who I am and how I became rooted in a place was like I traveled for six years to different eco villages and urban farms and community gardens and different countries and learning with the mine people in, in the highlands of Guatemala and how they were growing their food and how they were harvesting their coffee and all of that. And it came to a point where I actually really needed to be in one place, at least most of the time, to be able to actually do anything with all the knowledge and experiences that I had. So I'm not, (laughs) I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for, but uh, I, I kind of find it important at a point to really invest in a space. And I say that as someone, as a musician who still travels quite often, but the Bay's my home. And I'm deeply dedicated to supporting the things that are happening here, especially when I'm here. But if one chooses to continue on the path of the nomad, there's a part of maybe letting go that you'll actually have a really, really, really intimate connection with the land. In my travels, I had intimate experiences with the land, but a deep connection with a landscape, with a people, with a culture, it takes time. So if you don't have that time, one way that you can still, I think, do the nomad thing in a way that still adds to the healing of the land as you go is really do some research before we travel to places and see what projects, similar to the Permaculture Action Network, just like seeing what's happening in that area and seeing what local folks are doing and seeing if there are places where folks are asking for support. I think it's really important for millennials as they travel to not travel with this mentality of like, I'm going to go around the world and help everybody. Like, no, people, if they want help, they'll ask for it. And that's actually counterproductive to a lot of things. So I think really taking the time when we go to each place or beforehand to really do some research and find out what's actually happening. If you're traveling and you want to really be dropping in with land-based projects, then I would, you know, pull up a Google search and really look for land-based projects. And I would, I would stress looking for ones that are run by native local people to that land and seeing if they're asking for support, if they're asking for volunteers, if they're asking for folks to come and be involved. I guess too, in my own life, I used to travel a lot more than I do now. And I've realized that For me to actually connect with land, for me to really give the land and projects my full attention, my full love, I need to be dedicated and I need to commit. And I think that there's something about that sacrifice. And when I say sacrifice, I actually mean that in one of the most beautiful ways I can mean something. I mean, sacrifice is glorious when it's something that you love and it's something beyond yourself. So there's a lot of things I've sacrificed in my life to give back and to be in service to that which I love more than anything else, which for me is this earth and specifically the temperate rainforest region. And I think that traveling is very mind expanding and one can learn so much. And I really appreciate that you pointed out that if you are on the nomadic trail and you do want to learn from other communities, land-based people, 
to do some research first and to come in humbly and to see if help is wanted and to see if your presence is wanted because it's not always wanted and it's not necessarily a personal thing. It's just how to learn to respect other people in their lands. And that's, I think, in the United States as well as globally. So I really appreciated your answer and I thought it was really well thought out and complex, which it needed a complex answer. But I also now want to, for my last question for you, I want to leave this one open and just see what you feel like sharing about your own personal projects, life, um, things that feel really important to you at this time to share with the audience and as well as where people can find you, find the Permaculture Action Network, find you know your work specifically and how they can support you. Oh, thank you so much, Ayana, for asking that. Oh, well, being the permaculturalist I am, I I like to do lots of different things. <laughs> I've got my foot in, in a lot of different uh, ponds these days. First, I would love to share with folks how they can find the Permaculture Action Network. If you heard me talking earlier about the bioregional cruise, and that sounds like something, maybe you'd want to organize a Permaculture Action Day. Maybe you know folks in your community whose projects could use some support. Maybe you're one of those people. Please connect with us, permacultureaction.org. And you can also find us on Instagram and Twitter using Permaculture Action. You know, find us on Facebook as well in that way. And we are always looking to expand our team and, and, and build with folks. So please connect with the Permaculture Action Network that way. Uh, something that is happening in my personal landscape is that I just put out my first album. Ooh. But yeah, it focuses a lot on the inner landscape, on personal narrative, uh, on storytelling, on pain and, and accessing that and, and transforming it into into beauty, into opportunity as as well as, you know, the the general human topics of love and and of forgiveness and um, and resilience. My album's called Unraveled, and you can find it on Apple Music, on Spotify, iTunes, Pandora, pretty much anywhere that you stream or purchase music that just came out on July 30th. And I just wrapped up my bi-coastal house concert tour, which has been this grassroots way of sharing my music and kind of similar to the Permaculture Action Network, really bringing the music back to the people. So if uh, you you listen to my music and you like it and you have a beautiful home or space and you would love to host a night of storytelling and poetry and music for your community or if you have an organization or a benefit or something coming up and would like to have my music be a part of that it would be my honor my music is of, of service to the movement in all of its forms so definitely supporting me in that way is really helpful. And you can find out about my music, the work that I do with children, my kids' hip-hop album, or my EP Unraveled at jasminefuego.org, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at jasminefuego. I uh, would love, would love, love, love to connect with you all. If, if you all have any questions or want to connect more, you can find me in those ways as well. No. Because you're stronger than you know.
Well, congratulations on your album release just a few days ago. That's a huge accomplishment and how exciting. And I love the idea of house concerts. That's usually where I enjoy music the most is when it's an intimate setting and you can really be close to the artist and feel the passion and emotions behind the performance. So that's really wonderful. And thank you so much, Jasmine, for coming on today and for all your work in community organizing and really being able to reach large groups of people, small groups of people, communities, big festival spaces. Yeah, it's it's an incredible skill set to be able to really reach out and entice and inspire people in the way you do. So thank you so much. Thank you, Ayana. I look forward to seeing you at the Eclipse in Oregon. Thank you for listening to For the Wild podcast. I'm Ayana Young. This episode is in partnership with the upcoming Organ Eclipse Festival and with Living Village Culture, who will be hosting the Shrines to the Cosmos, facilitating the Community Eclipse Ritual, and teaching the Ritual Performance Immersive at Organ Eclipse this year. So head over to livingvillageculture.com and organeclipse2017.com to learn more. Jasmine will be there, as well as myself. I'll be sharing a talk entitled For the Love of the Wild, and hosting a panel called Governed by Nature, Rethinking Society from Earth Up. So please come by and say hello if you happen to be there. The songs you heard today were from Jasmine's new album, Unraveled. Our theme music is Bo with Silence Returns and Kate Wolf, Like a River. I want to thank our research director, Madison Mogulski, and to our producers, Reach Out and March Young. Be sure to head over to ForTheWild.World to sign up for our newsletter to find out about what podcasts are coming up and what events I'll be speaking at, and also about the One Million Redwoods Project. And please make a contribution, as we need your help to keep these projects up and running. Thanks, and until next time. Like a river